Welcome to the Gibraltar Heritage Trust podcast series. Once again, Lord Airy's battery and the 9.2-inch gun at the top of the rock along the ridge batteries is the subject of this podcast by the Gibraltar Heritage Trust. I'm Alice Mascareñas, and this time, project leader Pete Jackson gives us a full account of the restoration works and how he envisages the future of this important historical site he is helping to bring back to life. For the first time in October this year, since the restoration began, this site has seen a number of visits from Gibraltar Heritage Trust groups from our membership. Pete Jackson now returns to the podcast series to talk about this project. The battery itself is named after a former governor of Gibraltar who served here from 1865 to 1870. Lord Airy is named after Lord Richard Airy. He was governor in Gibraltar uh, for a five-year period. Um, shortly after he left the battery uh, up there, received a six-inch gun and then on to the 9.2. So it's maintained the name Lord Airy's battery for, for a number of years. And we have a few like that. I mean, O'Hara's takes its name from a, a former um, governor too. So it's not, not uncommon for that to happen. Now, Lord Airy's um, was last fired in 1974. And they were no longer... Not fired in anger, of course. No, no, no. Uh, fired in training. The guys that we have have to be uh, competent. To, and to the only way you can maintain that competency is to practice, practice, practice. And, and we did. And this would have been done by the Gibraltar Defence Force, the Gibraltar Regiment? By then it's the Gibraltar Regiment that's looking after them and, and firing them. And even when we stopped firing in 1974, that didn't stop the maintenance. The maintenance troop continued to go up there and maintain those guns right up into the 1990s. We were still providing, albeit in, in less amount, we were still going up and looking after those guns. In terms of the, the complex, the, the, the ridge batteries, uh, what links uh, Lord Aries to, to the other batteries? And uh, well, why are they called ridge, ridge batteries? Well, the ridge is because of where it sits. It's the ridge on the rock. It's, it's the, that whole ridge line that runs across, and there they sit atop it. So that's why it's called the Ridge Batteries. The, the link that goes through, for obvious reasons, because the engine room for Lord Ares and the engine room for O'Hara's is one and the same. Both those guns work from the same uh, engine room. Anything goes wrong with that engine, then it's going to affect both batteries. Now there is a backup system further down the ridge to the south in Fire Control South, where those engines, the backups for O'Hara's battery, are still there. They're still in heavy care and preservation. I don't think anybody would be starting them up anytime soon, but they are still there. The, the failsafe is still there. Could they be fired still? No, no. Uh, the guns were welded into place in azimuth, so the, can't, the gun can't be moved left and right, and in elevation, the barrel can't be raised and lowered. That was done in 1992. I can still remember the name of the guy that welded them shut. He was a sergeant from the Remy called Dave Potts, and I was up there when he was doing O'Hara's battery welding it. Because what used to happen, children would break in on the night, there's no one around, so they'd turn the barrel round and face Algeciras. Of course, we'd then end up with a message coming back down from Madrid, why are your guns facing us? And it would cause these nasty little incidents that the politicians don't like. So they were turned back to face out to sea and they were welded shut. You take on the project of Lord Ares. It becomes Pete's project. What do you have to do? Initially... The reason this came about was I was doing med steps 
when I got to the, med- uh, the top of med steps, there were two guys saw me walking up the steps. When they saw me, they, they saw me look at them. They hid behind the wall. So I was a, a little concerned at what they were doing. As I approached them, they ran down the road. So I climbed the fence and went to see what was going on to find the door had been forced into Lord Ayres. And on walking inside, there is a tap we call from a, a piece of equipment called a variable speed gear. It holds all the oil for the whole of the hydraulic system on the gun. That had been opened and oil was running onto it and oil was halfway across the pump room floor. So I paddled through the oil and turned it off and I rang the police. This was during lockdown and the police were unable to come up and do anything about it. I did speak to Environment and Environment said, is it secure, is it turned off, what can we do? So I did what I could. I then was lucky enough to get a, a friend of mine to bring up some sawdust to throw it on the oil that had been released and soak it up. But that was me started. I couldn't then leave this on the floor. I had to do something about it, so I started to scrape the, f- the floor and take all that oil away for disposal. And that's how I got into the project. The more I walked around and looked at it, I saw how much needed doing. and just felt really sad that uh, a piece of this nature could be left to the ravages of vandalism and, and the elements. What is the makeup of, of the battery? If, we, if you can take us into the battery, the gun, of course, is at the top, but the battery is below us, essentially, with all the equipment that's in there. That's correct. I mean, looking at that, if you, if you do med steps and you walk to the top and you see that gun, that is literally the, the point of the, the tip of the iceberg. What's going on underneath there, initially below the gun, you have what's called the gun pit which is the pedestal on which that gun stands, on which that gun rotates. Around that, we have our first line of ammunition in terms of uh, 9.2-inch shells and the cartridges that are going to propel it across to the target. We need a lift to bring that stuff up from its safe location down in the magazine into that ready-use area. So we have an ammunition shaft that joins that up. Now, that has to be that can be used manually, but... You really need uh, mechanical power to do that, which is where these engines come in. The next level down, when you walk down into it, you have workshops, a communications room, and within the communications room, you also have a centrifuge for oil cleaning. Because all the oil that's moving through that system, we have to remove any impurities from it frequently and get water off that and away. For that, we use a a centrifuge, which we've just had uh, restored, good friend of mine called uh, Carl Alessio came up and helped massively with that and he's made a superb job. It looks like it's just come off the shelf from a stores. Uh, very good job. Also at that level we have the pump room. This is where the variable speed gear is housed and it's also where the production of, of CO2 for the gun to function is also going on in that room. There is then a level below the magazine. We drop down the steps into the magazine and the first thing that you see is a shell and cartridge store with a, an overhead crane system for pulling those, lifting those heavy shells at 360 pounds to drop them in the lift to take them to the top. And we have a cartridge magazine. Now, these guns were initially developed before electricity. So these rooms predate electric. You'll find that there are lantern holders. When electricity comes into play, we then have all the electric lights coming through as well. But before electric, you had to be really careful about how you stored gunpowder in terms of cartridges for for guns. 
the last thing you want is somebody walking into a powder room with a lantern or a candle because you're not going to have a powder in fact you're not going to have a gun for very long if you allow that to occur so these rooms were made intrinsically safe for that day but by the time we get into using electric it becomes a lot safer uh, because we can control who goes in we can put light in uh, without the spark how much ammunition would have been stored down there well you know i did a count up the the other day and can i remember the figures Uh, because the racks are still there for it you'll see there are racks down there one side takes shells the other side takes cartridge and I think we're looking at something like uh, 70 to 80 shells being it's stored. quite a lot as well. It is. It and is. they would have had to have manually been taken up to the top of the rock. And those are heavy too. That's right. And then you've got to get them down into that magazine to store them before <laughs> you start to think about bringing them back up to fire. Yeah, lots and lots of work. Now, the work carried out in Lord Ayres at the moment is quite detailed work because you're looking at a lot of features, all the mechanical equipment that's there. That initially is the first step you took. It was. The first thing I had to look at was the the state of dilapidation of the ammunition shaft. It was in real danger of being lost. So the first thing that I did was start scraping that metal back. And there's only one way to do that in that kind of environment with no electric supply. And that's manual with a hand scraper. Lots of skin off knuckles. Uh, but I found an awesome substance, which is a rust treatment that arrests the rust. And over a period of three months, I managed to stabilise the top end of that. It's never going to be in anything like its original condition, but at, at least now it's stable. It's no longer rotting away, and it's going to be there for future years. However... I wanted to continue with that, but we get a lot of water ingress from the top. And as soon as we got into the better months, I had to stop and concentrate on blocking that water getting in and trying to stop the winter from taking its effects on on the rest of the gun. Because if I can sort that out, I can 90% guarantee the works I'm doing are going to last down below. Because water pouring through is not good. Does the carriage which carried the ammunition still work? There is, a, there is a hoist that runs around the roof. On that hoist you have three runners. Each runner is operated by chains. Uh, what you do is you, you pick up a round, hoist it above the line of the ammo store and you run it round this ring at the top. When it's level with your ammo feeder, you lower it down and up it goes to the gun. It's not in working condition in that it is in heavy care and preservation. The, the chains are all still greased up from when it was left. I've no doubt it would work. I've actually managed to unseize the wheels on the runners and just by applying a stick to it, you can push the runners along. It runs perfectly. Not that it's ever going to carry ammunition anymore, but it's as good as it's going to be. So tell me about the, the variety of features that we find inside the, the, the battery. You've got the lighting features, for example. You've also got the equipment for the, for the actual workings of, of, of the battery. And then you've got the gun itself. So how much work has all that meant? I'm nowhere close yet. I've been a year and I'm still nowhere near completion in what I need to do. Because, because of this, I have to concentrate on certain areas. Uh, It's no good me going in and cracking on with one job and painting it and getting it all pristine to find that 
I haven't done the ceiling above it and I haven't done the, uh, the metal supporting joists above it and then I have to start scraping and painting above something I've already done. So everything has to be done very slowly in piecemeal. Some of that is masonry painting, some of that is metal treatment and doing it in a manner that I don't have to keep returning to make things good again. So when you go down into the cellar, I found that some of the boxes were in a really poor state, in danger of becoming so rust-pitted that they would either need either replacements or they would look very shabby when finished. So I stopped everything that I was doing and took those away and did them and put them back in place and then bagged them. So uh, as I paint around them, I'm not dripping paint all over the things. But my main problem is I have to function by priority. As At the moment, the weather is the priority. Um, when you go down and see the intricacies of the communications system, there are boards on the walls with signals boxes dating from World War II and some very interesting things down there. To go down there and you'll be working on something to find that the box you're working on says 1934 and it's made by Siemens, a German company producing boxes for British guns in World War II seems a little strange. Uh, I'm sure it was a subsidiary of that company that's working from UK, but it does seem really odd to find uh, the Germans supplying, a German company supplying a British gun with equipment during time of war. So it's very interesting to, uh, to pick these things up. I have, as I said with Carl, a very talented individual. His ability to take these away, restore and bring back what looks like it's just come off the production line for me to refit is very rewarding. And I have to stop myself from being too quick to get it back on the wall. Because if I start putting these things back up before I've done everything else and stopped this water, then they're going to be in the same state they were in five years' time. So I've got to get the... The priority is stop the water, get the damp out of there, and then move it forward bit by bit. How much work has the gun itself needed? The gun itself I've not started on, on the top for several reasons. Uh, to start on the gun, I am going to require scaffold. I'm going to require tools uh, capable of taking off massive amounts of rust from the barrel. Uh, until I have things in place there is little point. It's not something I can do on my own. I've only got eight fingers, two thumbs. To start on that barrel, uh, and it would be foolhardy to be climbing a scaffold on my own with power tools. One, I don't have the cash to put up scaffold. Once you put it up, it costs money. Uh, the longer it's up, the more it's going to cost. So until I'm at a stage where I can say, I've got the manpower, I've got the tools, I've got the paint, all the equipment, okay, now let's get that scaffold up, do the barrel, get the scaffold down to make it the cheapest possible way of, of effectively doing the job. So at the moment, what you see on the outside is still untouched. All this needs volunteers. You're practically doing it on your own. Carl is helping you and you have another helper as well. But how many volunteers do, do you want? Do you need volunteers? I do need volunteers. And anyone who has skills that they can offer up, joinery carpentry all the doors down there need replacing they're all swollen they need cutting to size they need cleaning they need restoring yes i can do that but I'll, that means me spending a lot more time just with the blowtorch taking paint off doors which slowly i'm doing when it's raining upstairs and i can't work out there then yes i'm doing this but to have somebody who has that skill would be fantastic and you, you don't need to be a master craftsman. 
you can see what needs doing. The, the average person can see uh, what needs doing. All you need is the competency to work with the hand tools and the and the will to get yourself up the rock and come and help. So this is your chance to call on volunteers and say we need skilled <laughs> volunteers, but you don't have to be totally skilled in in a sense. That's right. That's right. You you don't need to be qualified uh, to to come and help. What you should do is initially make contact with the Heritage Trust and preferably join the Heritage Trust because the Heritage Trust runs a group of volunteers that they keep on a register. So we know who's going up there. We know who has given of their time. In doing that, uh, we do ask that you sign a, a memorandum of understanding that uh, it's not for you to go up there and make your own photo shoot for your private Facebook page. We're up there to do a community project for the good and benefit of Gibraltar. And if that's what you're up for and you want to come and help, then I'd be more than happy to see you. How big a project is this? It, it, it is a pretty massive project, Pete. It is for a small amount of people. You'll see historically we've had military units come out. And when a military unit hits it, it hits it with 30 guys. Those 30 guys are then supported by trucks coming up with the paint and the scrapers and the the tools we don't have that we have my tools up there and a few tools that we have managed to get second hand through the trust that we are using to make better the site lord Ayers is very important to me and i will continue to work and i will not be bored off the project because i'm not being supported but this is the start there are other guns that are in need of tlc and it's my aim to get those guns back to where they should be for the benefit of Gibraltar and because it's the right thing to do. TLC are letters that you use a lot. <laughs> These guns need TLC. They do. The batteries need TLC. They do. And finishing it and inviting people up there to see it and go, look at what we've done, is not what I want. I want that to be constant. We, we can't then allow it to go back down the hill to where it was before. We've got to keep going up there and applying that TLC to make sure that, that gun is visitable and is is safe for people to visit is is the main thing. So what ultimately would be the best thing that could happen in your view? In my view, we finish the gun. We hand the keys over to the Gibraltar Heritage Trust and bookings to visit that gun are then controlled by the trust. We put a party together, whoever goes up there pays an amount to come and see what we've done and what we're doing. They're invited to make a further donation if they want on site, but anything that we take is then put back into project money where we can spend it on the upkeep of this gun and other pieces around the rock. And just remind us why it's important that we give some TLC to all these guns and batteries. It's very important because these guns gave us, uh, in my mind, the freedom that we enjoy today. If it wasn't for the use of these things and the position of these things and the strategic importance of Gibraltar through World War II, then we might not even be doing this in English. We could be, we could be doing this interview in an entirely different language and they'd probably be getting looked after better. So we need to recognise what we have had and why we have what we have and look after what put us where we are. And their uniqueness? 
very unique. I mean, uh, just in the quantity. I, I couldn't tell you exactly how many are left in the world, but I would say it's probably under 30. And they, uh, we have the largest concentration of 9.2s on the planet. So let's look after them. Let's exploit their uniqueness. And let's have people visit. A very determined Pete Jackson, whose sole aim is to see the restoration of this important military site in local history. Since its closure in the 1970s and its subsequent handover from the MOD to the government of Gibraltar, Lord Airy's battery has received several cosmetic makeovers from visiting army units. The current project so far has received support from the Gibraltar Heritage Trust, the Ministry for Heritage and the MOD World War II Tunnel Guides. But much more is needed to fully restore and open the battery to the public. You can help Pete Jackson reach his £10,000 target and help him fund his restoration projects in the gun batteries such as Lord Aries and other areas of the Upper Rock area. Check out his Just Giving page. The projects need volunteers and if you would like to get involved, send in your interest to exec, E-X-E-C, at gibraltarheritagetrust.org.gi or pop into the Gibraltar Heritage Trust shop to pick up a volunteer form. You can also follow Pete's progress of works on his Facebook page and share it with your friends and family so that we can all help to raise awareness on these projects. This podcast series is presented and produced by me, Alice Mascareñas, as a trustee, together with Chief Executive Claire Montado for the Gibraltar Heritage Trust. Original music is by Guy Valarino. The Gibraltar Heritage Trust offices can be found at the Main Guard at 13 John McIntosh Square. Opening hours, Monday to Friday, 9am to 3pm, and Saturdays, 9am to 1pm. You can contact the Trust on 200 42844, or check out the website, gibraltarheritagetrust.org.gi. This podcast is from the Gibraltar Heritage Trust. Remember... Until the next time, keep a watchful eye on heritage.